Hi, I'm Susan. Thank you for joining me again as I think about all things languages. My aim is to offer my ideas, my thinking aloud as a launch pad for you to clarify your own ideas. And I'm hoping that by listening to me that you might sort of talk back silently or aloud and really develop how you think about languages. It's not designed as a this is how to do it type of idea. It's designed as a way for you to do your own thinking. The ideas that I share here are my current thinking and do not necessarily represent my organization, which is Docile Diocese of Sale Catholic Education Limited. In the last podcast, we talked about scenario practice and the possible blockers. One of those is the problem of language and how to work with a tutor to check in with what that language is to be curious together with these students. The second one is fear of failure and that sense that you can't make a mistake. And then the possibility of creating a safe space for experimenting where you know there will be mistakes that are made. The next blocker is actually very closely related to that fear of making a mistake. Us teachers, when we hear something that is not correct, there's a sense of ah and an impulse to fix it straight away. If it's possible to just breathe through that and allow the language to not be correct for a moment, rather than trying to correct every single thing, which will, of course, set students up for this expectation that things have to be perfect and will stop the uh, motivation for doing for experimenting. Instead of doing that, see if you can focus around a particular piece of the puzzle that a lot of students need to move forward. So if lots of students, for example, are not using past tense when they needed to in that particular situation, then perhaps past tense would be the best use of your time and their time to learn in that particular situation. It will be different for everyone. It depends on what the scenario is. It depends on what the language is. All our languages all languages, have interesting little quirks to them that need to be helped through. Try and choose one or two things to correct. The most impactful one or two things to correct. And allow in yourself as a teacher also the possibility of staying in a space where things aren't perfect for now. I hope that helps with how you see scenario practice. It certainly helps me to clarify the sorts of things that could potentially be blocking them, blocking the use of scenario practice. It seems to me there's two more possible blockers. And if there's other blockers that I haven't mentioned in these podcasts, let me know because I'd like to be able to work with you to try and remove blocks if that's the most effective way to learn. They're related. One is time and the second is the sense of needing to prepare students for VCE and the exams and things then. 
time seems to be a blocker when you see the textbook as the most important piece of learning. This is especially difficult in a secondary context where you've got a lot of different people, a lot of different teachers working together, and you need to stay in sync with what the learning is. That means you need to agree that you're going to teach this particular grammar pattern, this particular set of words. How you teach it has some flexibility, but there's an expectation that these pieces go in place. Then there's some sort of generalized test that each teacher does to get that sense overall of your student cohort and what they've achieved in that particular learning unit. To do scenario practice seems in that context to be an add-on. I understand. But I'm wondering too if it's not actually one of the more important components. For example, if we're doing pets, which seems to be a fairly common topic across early secondary learning, rather than creating perhaps a little booklet of your pet, what if the students spent time putting together the language for themselves about their pets. So perhaps they know in Japanese um, dog and des, which is a B verb, it means is, and watashi, which means I. And they might say something like um, watashi des dog. And they're thinking along the lines of I is dog which also doesn't make sense in English, of course, but you can see why how they're putting together that connection between me and the dog. Then you spend that time helping them to get that sentence a little bit more correct and have another go the next week. So the same amount of time that you might have spent allowing them to create their booklets where they're taking a piece of the language out of the textbook and a piece of the language off the board and a piece of the language from here and there, they're essentially copying and pasting into the book that looks like they've completed their work and they have. But have they learnt it? Are they able to stand up and actually talk about their pets without necessarily relying on some other form of written support? Are they able to talk about different sorts of pets? Are they able to talk about other things that they own or other things that they would like or other things that they wish they owned? So without necessarily changing your topic, I feel like you could change an approach and still do the same sort of assessment or perhaps you even change the assessment. That's really how far you go with this is up to you. I'm not expecting things. I'm not telling you things. I'm just offering possible ways of approaching things. Um, So your assessment potentially, if you wanted to, could be to have a student stand up at the front of the room and talk about their pet, bring in a photograph and not do it from a script. 
And then you might have a rubric that talks about the different things that they've said. Um, have they used a lot of different words? Have they used sentences? Have they used some particles if it was in Japanese or other things, depending on, again, your language and the sorts of things that are important in that? I do have some ideas for how those sorts of rubrics can be used, but that's a, another whole topic. Okay, before I finish off, the VCE thing is also an interesting one. Yes, obviously there's an oral in VCE and ideally in the oral you are supposed to be able to speak spontaneously. However, the reality of that is a lot of scripted work and often a lot of memorized responses to anticipated questions. If that's the most effective way of doing it, I'm definitely not saying don't. Do. Do do those memorized responses if that's the most efficient way for your students in your context. My question is, if you had done scenario practice or something similar where there was a lot of opportunity for spontaneous use of language right from the beginning in year seven, I wonder how the VCE oral might be. Would it be more, would your students be more confident to speak in an oral situation without necessarily having scripted and memorized responses if they'd already practiced that throughout their learning. And ultimately, it's not VCE as an exam that is our students' lives. Ultimately, it is them using language and having the skills to use other languages, because it might not be the language that they're learning in school, in their life in the future. My argument and please argue back with me if you want to, is students who learn how to be creative with the relatively small or medium-sized amount of the language that they know are more likely to have a go at using language in their future lives. What do you think? Jane. <laughs> <laughs>